You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley again here for another episode of the show. We want to thank you all for tuning in, whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google or Stitcher or or wherever you want to listen to your podcasts. Uh, We really appreciate it. If you are on YouTube, uh, again, thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe to the channel while you're here and give this video a like and share it around as well. Leave your comments down below. We'd love to hear your thoughts on anything we talk about here. It's in an off-season mode, but before we get really fully into off-season mode, I want this podcast to be, this episode, uh, to kind of be putting a bow on the season that was for Tennessee. We'll get to that in a second. First, Gene, I want to kind of blast through some of these these news and info and stuff here off the top since last time we spoke, uh, because we've had a few different things hit the wire since uh, we last recorded the podcast. A couple of big ones were, in fact, last time you and I talked, we were talking about what Rick Barnes would do. Uh, with his assistant coaching position that he had vacant on his staff, well, that stayed internal. He promoted uh, within to the associate head coach role and promoted within to the assistant coaching role. And the new assistant coach uh, for Tennessee is none other than Greg Polinski, who served one year as a, a volunteer analyst on Tennessee staff uh, in this past season for the 21-22 season. And now he is going to be an assistant coach for Tennessee. And he's not some young up-and-comer, Gene. <laughs> he's a guy who... Uh, been around the block a little bit. He's only, I think, like four or five years younger than than Rick Barnes. Uh, he was born, actually, he just turned, uh, he just had a birthday recently. He, he was born March 15th, 1958 in uh, St. Louis. I don't think, it, yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, he's been around the block for a little bit. This is, he's back in college this past season for the first time since the 1990s. But Gene, he spent, I think, 23 seasons in the NBA before he came back and, and joined Rick Barnes at Tennessee as a volunteer analyst this past year. Uh, he started in the NBA in 1999 as a scout for the well for the New then the New Jersey Nets, uh, and then he got promoted to director of scouting for the Nets in 2004. Stayed with the Nets then when they transitioned to Brooklyn and became a director of player personnel for them in 2008. Went to the Detroit uh, Detroit Pistons, excuse me, also as a director of player personnel in 2018. Was there for two seasons with them, so he was a scout a director of scouting and a director of player personnel in the NBA in the nineties though. uh, He served as a, actually in the eighties to start from there, served as a part-time assistant coach for Texas was promoted to a full-time assistant coach at Texas in 1984, uh, served as an assistant for Alabama uh, in 1986 through 1994, and then was promoted to associate head coach in 1994 there. And was the head coach of Georgia Southern, from 1995 to uh, 1999 before moving into the NBA. So, Gene, you're talking about bringing a guy on with experience and, and someone who um, maybe even had coaching experience. And you mentioned Frank Haith. Well, this guy, goodness, you want to talk about experience. Again, 20-plus years in the NBA, and then really even another almost 20 in, in the college ranks as an assistant, and then also uh, four years, I think four seasons as the Georgia Southern head coach. I think this makes sense, promoting within to a guy who'd been on staff already and a guy who's been around the block and a guy with a lot of NBA experience, a guy who knows what the NBA is looking for and, and players and stuff like that and kind of, you know, 
can it maybe help guide Tennessee's roster, those talented, some of the NBA talented prospects that Tennessee has on the roster and let them know like, Hey, this is what the NBA is looking for. This is kind of what, you know, how you should be molding yourself. I think it makes sense. And I, I genuinely think this is a good hire. Like, I, I mean, it's promoting within, I, I guess, technically not a new hire per se, but promoting within to an assistant coach. I think Greg Polinski makes a lot of sense to me. And I think he has a lot of unique, I guess, unique experience that I don't think any, I don't think any of the assistants Dirk Barnes has ever had at Tennessee has had this type of experience before. Not not with this kind of NBA caliber talent that the, he's he's you know seen and coached and scouted at the NBA level. Yeah, and you know you looked at some of those uh, Brooklyn Nets teams that uh, that kind of went through his time frame, and I don't know the exact years. I just know he spent the vast majority of his career with Brooklyn. Um, you know, like. That's getting guys like I don't know. You know I think Kerry Kittles was before then, but like some of the I mean, like to see some of the Nets teams that went through. I understand, like you know, they weren't always great. But I'm and again, I, I I'm I'm struggling to remember exactly some of the talent that went through there. But I know that there were some quality teams that weren't just the you know like the store bought teams essentially. Because I know at one point they got guys like. Durant, I'm sorry, not Durant. Obviously, they've got Durant and Irving, and they had Harden and Simmons, that, that whole situation. But they had Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce at one point, Darren Williams. Uh, Jason Kidd was on that, I think, was there early in Polinsky's career. So to be able to see the sorts of talent, Kenya Martin. Um, he helped. So looking, he helped that, yeah, looking back in the, the 90s and early 2000s, he helped uh, draft guys like Kenyon Martin in 2000, Kyle Korver in 03. So those are some of the early, early names on there, too, of, of guys. Brooke Lopez was a guy he helped identify, I assume, helped identify and, and draft as well. Well, and the interesting thing about uh, about King and Martin is the fact I'm pretty sure his he tore his ACL at Cincinnati, I think, his senior year. And I'm not yeah, even sure think so. he was uh, – I don't think he played. I know he tore his ACL. I don't know if he played at all that year. And, you know, the Nets still took a chance on him, and obviously it worked out pretty well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you know – you've got to, you know, you have to believe that there has to be some, some benefit there for, you know, for him to, to have that experience. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I know kind of what's said, um, you know, I, I guess to, you know, to develop what you get to college, I guess is the best thing that you can, it's the best benefit is to be able to, okay, now that you're here, this is what you have to work on to get, the, to get there. Uh, he could be somebody that's really good for a guy like Brandon Huntley Hatfield, who I think has those aspirations, but is kind of in this area where he doesn't 100% know necessarily what it, it takes, and he's young, uh, and that could be beneficial for him. Like some all those little, all those young bigs, to get players like that, it has to be beneficial. So um, yeah, I had thrown out Frank Haith, but I mean, and it has some, it has at least some merit to it. But when you have a guy that has the experience that Polinsky has, then and you've already you've got the guy just stashed away, then it makes all the sense in the world that, hey, you know what? You know, in case of emergency, break the glass. And, well, in this case, that glass is broken. It's also funny that he and, and Barnes actually, they were like ships passing in the night, as the old phrase goes, because he when he accepted the, the assistant coaching position in Alabama, it was because that, that position opened up because Rick Barnes left Alabama to become an assistant Ohio State, so they, they he literally took Rick Barnes's the position he left at Alabama. Uh, Polinsky did to become the assistant coach there. Uh, he spent. It's funny some of the names that he coached under as an assistant. Uh, a guy we'd mentioned on the podcast before when we were 
kind of making fun of of uh petty or alabama for how long he'd been there but he, he coached under whip sanderson at bama uh, gene he also coached under uh david hobbs and he coached under bob weltlick uh weltlick excuse me at texas so he coached under some names that uh, i hadn't heard in a long time but some names that i, I, I recognize from the old the 80s and 90s uh college basketball scene too yeah just just going whip sanderson's name just brings a smile on my face the rest of the guys obviously some names i mean <laughs> older names uh, but yeah, just Flip Sanderson just makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, it, it just does. I mean, there, there's no way around it. Like that's just, uh, it's one of those things like that's my guy and I've never met the guy and that won't happen. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like that just brings a smile to my face that, uh, that that's, that's how far back we're going. It's, it's almost like listening to an episode of, uh, a first take now, whenever, uh, Mike, you know, I mean, uh, mad dog Russo's on there. And he's throwing all these obscure, like, 60s baseball players that, that nobody remembers. Like, there's kids nowadays who don't who won't believe that Wimp Sanderson is an actual name. But no, he was. It happened. That that era happened at Alabama. Yeah, and I, I, there's a lot of names from back in the day that we can go and look back and people wouldn't believe were real names or nicknames or something. I mean, a lot of nicknames that make sense, but actual, like, actual real names of some of the players and coaches back in the day are, are great. Um yeah, so that that again, that was I, th- I think a good move promoting Ganey to associate, associate head coach like where, where Michael Schwartz was. Um, again, that make, I mean, all promoting within. I think those are those are fine moves. I don't. I think it helps preserve um, some continuity, which is good after the last offseason where you basically had to <laughs> rearrange everything except for Schwartz uh, because of Kim English and um, yeah, Des Oliver getting those head coaching positions as well. So. You know, I think it makes sense, and those are good moves. Uh, some more roster movement for Tennessee here is we have, well, as of recording this podcast, we still haven't ha- gotten official word about Kennedy Chandler going to the NBA, but it'll happen. But we'll talk more about the roster in the you know, next episode. I, I think is kind of how I'm structuring it. Is this one's going to be a retrospective on the season, reflecting on it. Next episode will be kind of focusing on the future of the off season, looking at the roster. But I do want to get one one note here about the roster, and that is Victor Bailey Jr. Uh, put his name in the transfer portal and is going to George Mason, which not a surprise. I think that was one of the names we united for sure. I don't know if we'd said it outright, but that was a guy that we, I, I think we both thought would transfer this off season. It makes a lot of sense. His, his last year at Tennessee, uh, did, this past season did not go anywhere, I guess, close to where he thought it probably would. And anywhere I think really most people thought it would go, uh, had a huge drop off in his shooting numbers. Uh, and then this year only averaged two and a half points, basically, for the season he, he did play some pivotal minutes and, and kind of came on stronger at the end of the season kind of the last three four weeks or so of the season for Tennessee and, and played some key minutes off the bench uh, but just never never could get a consistent shot following had like two games of the whole year where he was notable from three otherwise it was a lot of swings and misses for him but he's gonna go re- be reunited with Kim English at George Mason a, a assistant coach at Tennessee that I think uh, Bailey really really liked and you know again makes a lot of sense I think he'll thrive at George Mason, he'll also be reunited with uh, former teammate Devonte Gaines down there at George Mason. So, uh, Gene, it's not a it wasn't a surprise that it was Victor Bailey Jr. and also the destination from all the rumblings and stuff I'd seen and heard. Also, not a surprise, and I, I think it's a good fit again because I think him and King, him and Kim English uh, had a pretty strong relationship, and I, I think that that's a really good spot for Victor Bailey to be in a, a spot that I think he can thrive in. That's all you can ask for. Um, yeah. I understand that the portal is very trendy. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of 
things that go into play with the transfer portal nowadays. And it's, you know, there's people will, you know, speak on the positives of it, the negatives of it. And I get it. I, I get both. But um, Bailey wasn't going to play again in Knoxville. Uh, he has eligibility left because of the COVID year. Um, he wasn't going to play again. And and it's tough. And, like, I understand. I mean, like, this is school number three for him and probably didn't, you know, didn't plan on leaving. But, um, I mean, the last time that he played meaningful minutes in a in an important game was – what Georgia, uh, Georgia game in, in in March, and uh, I don't I don't think that in I mean he played 18 minutes against Missouri, but I'm pretty sure that I don't think that was a close game. I know he played 20 against Longwood, but I mean let's be honest, let's be clear. I mean like he only, I mean I'm just looking at his minutes allocation. He played he played well against played a lot against Texas, mm-hmm. uh, played played against Georgia, and I think that was. Uh, the Bama game was because of the COVID uh, taking out Chandler and Fulkerson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, then every every other game I'm looking at here is 20 minutes against Texas Tech. But I mean, nobody, he was one of six, just like everybody else was that game. Um, you know, Colorado they you know handled that. There weren't many games. Villanova, not many games against the sorts of teams that Tennessee wants to compete against nationally, where he played a lot. And that's usually a true determinant where you stand in the pecking order. Like if, if you got a lot of two minutes, two minutes, one minute, five minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes, and you're a senior, that tells a lot about where you stand. It's not going to get better the following year, I can tell you that. Yeah, no. And, and again, it helps. I think it's it was best for both parties because, like you said, he wasn't going to play again. And I think, he again, that's a good fit for him. I wish him all the best. I, I liked him as a person, um, and I think he was – Again, I think he'll thrive at George Mason, especially with Kim English there uh, and, and the system I think that Kim's trying to run there and what he's trying to do at George Mason. And again, it also, which we'll talk more about next week, opens up a spot for Tennessee on the roster for them to go add either a, a guy like Julian Phillips, who they're really pursuing, or um, a transfer like a, a the Murray kid who's transferred from LSU. Like those are those are two big names that, which oddly enough, both have LSU ties um, that Tennessee has been pursuing and they've been tied to so far in the transfer market and in the recruiting market. So we'll, we'll talk more about that next week, but did want to get that out of the way here. Another news note before we get into the meat of it is that Rick Barnes got a contract extension, Gene. Uh, he's been extended another year for his contract. I don't, I didn't, I never saw a mention of a raise for it. I just saw that it was an extension. Could be a raise. Also, Kelly Harper got a, a, an extension and she did get a raise. Apparently it, it wasn't reported by Tennessee, but I saw it written by, I think the, the, uh, USA Today affiliate for George, like somewhere down in, in, in the state of Georgia, was talking about their head coach for Georgia, the new head coach down there, uh, and her salary, and mentioning that uh, Kelly Harper's extension gave her a two hundred thousand dollar raise to get her up to a million per year, which was good. That's that's really good money. Uh, you know, could be higher, should be higher, considering. Uh, eh, I want to get. I don't want to get into that debate right now, but <laughs> it's just it's good that's that number, but it, it it could be should be higher. But Rick Barnes gets a contract extension. Uh, he's going to be at Tennessee for a, another uh, year or so. I don't think it's a shock, uh, Gene. This kind of, I think, lends into the conversation we'll be having here in a second. But when you go and do something that a your team hasn't done positively in over 40 years, I think you earn yourself a, a contract extension. And I think also when you look at just kind of the season as a whole, where the team was in kind of early January, mid-January, and where they ended up, 
getting 27 wins, winning the SEC tournament for the first time since 1979. Again, I know they're about since the second round of the, of the NCAA tournament, but as we'll kind of talk about here in a second, I don't think that should define the whole season when you look at the season as a whole. I think it was a deserved contract extension. And again, I don't I don't know that there was a raise. If there was, I don't imagine it was a, a hugely significant one for Rick Barnes. But you go 27 and 8, 14 and 4 in the SEC after starting out 2 and 3 in SEC play, especially, um, and then go win the SEC tournament. I, I, I think it's a, a deserved raise. And I, I don't I didn't see very many people complaining about it. Uh, and there was a very small sect, but a very the overwhelming majority. Uh, thought I, I, from what I saw reaction wise, we're, we're saying it was well deserved and that, you know, it makes sense given the contract extension. And in fact, uh, UT's administration were handing out a lot of contract extensions uh, over the last week or week and a half. So it wasn't just Rick Barnes. It was about everybody on campus who had had success. We're, we're getting contract extensions. The soccer head coach got an extension. Tennis, I think, got one. Volleyball got one. Barnes got one. Harper got one. I think the only thing missing so far was football, and I, I would expect some sort of thing with at least the assistants or something at some point for football too. But Gene, I think it was I think both Kelly Harper and Rick Barnes getting extensions makes sense because again, Harper did something that the Lady Vols haven't done in six years, and that's with a a team that would have been ravaged by injuries, and that was make this week sixteen. So and they were having a really good season up until again injuries hit, bit them a butt with Kean Green and then Woodward and Horston. So um, I think both extensions make a lot of sense. And I think Kelly Harper's raise also makes sense. Yeah. And, and you know, and shout out to women's sports. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, that tournament this year has been, it's been uh, really good. I, I, yeah, I caught a couple of minutes of uh, NC state, UConn, uh, saw a minute or two of NC state, uh, Notre Dame. So the end of mm-hmm. that, you know, shout out to, you know, they're doing a great job and happy to really see, um, you know, so starting to see the money be reflective, see the ratings reflective of just how special that sport can be. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't see anybody really complaining. I mean, obviously, I've kind of been checked out of what's going on uh, as far as, like, reaction to things happening in Knoxville. But, um, but yeah, I don't see how anybody could really have a gripe. I guess the people who have gripes are the ones who would have gripes anyway because don't win in March. But I mean, if you just watch watch the team over the course of what 30, 33 games, that's that that's a team that got better over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, but when you put your measure, I mean, you can't put your measurements into you know a, a one game sample size in March as to how good a season's been. Uh, yeah, you obviously want to win all the NCAA tournament games and be champions, but you know, there is no perfect measurement to sports. So which one, which one's best? And look, and to me, 20, what, 27 wins, mm-hmm. 20, yeah, 27 wins, uh, conference championship, you know, in the tournament for the first time in 40 years, um, over 40 years, that matters. And, you know, like I've talked about this before, you know, so many people, I, I say casual basketball fans will college basketball fans will base their team success on trophies. Um, you know, that team three, you know, three, four years ago didn't have trophies. So there was an issue. Well, we number one in the country. I mean, y'all were number one in the country. Well, we didn't, what did we win? We didn't win the regular season. We didn't win the tournament. We did. We lost in the NCAA tournament. You got a trophy this year, a nice big fat trophy. That says SEC tournament champions. 
So, yeah, it, I mean, obviously it stinks that things didn't go like you thought they would go in the tournament, but, you know, that's pretty much the same for 67 other teams. Mm-hmm. So far, it's been the case for 60, 63 of those teams. Uh, yeah, 64 of those teams. Like, we're, we're, we're down. I mean, we're down to four. And got to win and dominate fashion. You lost to a team that, had, you know, that was kind of playing with a chip on the shoulder and got hot. Um, but everything, I'd say everything that happened on both sides is deserved. Because, I mean, the men's thing, you know, the men had their success on the women's side. You know, you and I were out there getting minutes for that team just because of how, you know, limited they were with numbers and stuff. And that's, yeah, like, it, it hurts. Like, you get excited because the thing with the women's side is the media is itching for Tennessee Lady Vols basketball to be back. Yeah. It's like the whole Texas football thing. So anytime that something positive happens, that's a positive. Like, that's something you've got to your advantage. But I know some fans get mad about what happens with football. They feel like this is anti-bias in football or there's just anti-bias in this sport and, and men's basketball. But there is no anti there is no anti-Tennessee bias in women's basketball. Like, it is – they are – the media is so pegging – for the Lady Vols to be good. And you'll see, and it'll be reflective anytime they win a halfway decent game against a top 25 team. Because there really aren't 25 great teams in women's college basketball. So, therefore, schools like Tennessee are going to get the benefit of the doubt whenever they start off 13-1 and one or something like that. But, like, when you just look back at the totality of the season, they were good, but you could kind of tell that they were kind of put together by duct tape as the season went along and it just kind of finally came to a head at the end, but it was still a great season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as long as they continue their success, they're going to get the bump. They're going to get the bump, the same bump that Duke gets, uh, the same bump that a Carolina would typically get, except for a year like there, which was weird. Uh, Kansas bump, you know, Villanova's a new blood. They're starting to get that bump the, you know, and, one thing you want in sports for anything else is a benefit of the doubt. The Lady Vols have that. And as long as Kelly Harper, you know, continues to build this thing the right way, you know, then the Lady Vols will get the benefit of the doubt. And guess what that's going to lead to? Championships. Maybe this year, maybe now. I don't know when. I mean, not obviously not this year. Maybe this coming year. Maybe after that. Who knows? But when you start seeing the players that they're bringing in, uh, through the portal and obviously through, I mean, you know, from high school, then you start to realize, oh, maybe you can recruit because it's no longer about having an all in men's and women's side. Nobody really cares with the ranking of your class. Nobody really cares about that. It sounds nice that we got to know one ranked recruiting class in the country. Um, I don't know where Tennessee was ranked uh, before, you know, in April of last year. But I know they ended number two because of reclassification and all this, mm-hmm. that, and the other. And as you start seeing teams really, you know, replenish their roster to the portal, then you start to realize. Watch what South Carolina does. Yeah, I've got it. I mean, I've got knowledge of that. Like, <laughs> watch what they watch what they're going to do. Like that roster will look completely different uh, next year. And who cares where your where class is ranked? So if you can bring in a nice blend of both you're going to be fine. I think that's what, that's what Kelly has, has shown that she can do because they don't lose a lot off this year's team. 
some key losses, of course. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they've also got some key pieces that aren't just you know, you know, ballyhooed high school prospects. They've shown they can do it at the highest levels. See Rakia Jackson. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and for context for any of those wondering, when Jim was talking about South Carolina, his, the school he he covers, UTC, uh, as you'll probably know, their their head coach is now the head coach at South Carolina. So that's what Jim was saying when he talks about he has a little bit of knowledge of of what what could happen at, at for the Gamecocks now because Gene just actually also just finished up covering coaching search for both the men's and women's basketball programs at UTC. So Gene's been a little busy uh, this past week, um, but now they've, they've both made hires. And as I said, uh, Lamont is now the head coach over at South Carolina. But uh, to your point too, Gene, about the quickly here about the Lady Vols too, is that, you know, you could even, I mean, it, you could also argue this year for this team and Kelly Harper. I mean, you could argue that, you know, Kelly Harper and the coaching staff had to basically kind of reinvent their vision of the team twice. Maybe you could say even three times if you want to count the King Green injury, but at the beginning of the year when Ray Burrell went down, I mean, down in the first game, and you're thinking, okay, well, she's and she was out for, what, a month, a month-ish? I think they had 12 games or something like that she missed, 16 games maybe she missed. It was a big chunk of games that she missed. You had to reinvent yourself early on. She comes back, and you have to kind of you know get her reacclimated and get used to that and, and the change in the team chemistry that way. And then you lose Keenan Green, and then you lose Jordan Horston. You're you're do it all who was leading your team in scoring, rebounding, and assists. Like the literal literal heart and soul do it all of the team goes down for the last uh, I guess month of the season, and you had to reinvent yourself at that point too. So the the fact that they ended on a Sweet 16 run and still had the type of success they were able to have throughout the year, I think it just uh, you know, further speaks to the coaching job this season for. Uh, Coach Harper, Coach Williams, and, and uh, well, I guess both Coach Harpers, <laughs> Coach Williams, and uh, Coach Joy uh, over there as well. So, um, but I think that that's a good transition of what we were talking about for the season for the men's team, especially, and kind of contextualizing it. And you you'd made a good point already, Gene, and I want to build off that kind of looking at this year. You go twenty seven and eight. You win the SEC tournament for the first time in four years or forty years, excuse me, uh, forty three years to be exact. But then you still you get a three seed. You feel like you've been disrespected. Should have been a two seed. You go out and wallop Longwood like you should. But then you lose to a a Michigan team that had has the talent to be a, a top sixteen seed in in the NCAA tournament, but just had issues throughout the year. Uh, couldn't get it all together, and it looked like they were coming together and gelling together at the right time. But they unfortunately, you know, they lost. Well, unfortunate for them, I guess. That uh, lost their next game in the in the. Uh, Sweet 16, but still gave a, a good fight in that game against Villanova. Now Villanova is a Final Four team, so you know, um, n- you know, n- no, no, no shame in losing to that Villanova team. But kind of, I, I think it's it's really difficult to look at this season. I, and I hate trying to say if a season was a success or, or giving it like a an A B C grade or anything like that. I, I'm not a huge fan of of doing that. But I kind of want to look at the season as a whole, Gene, and say was it a was it a great season or was it a really good season or was it a good season? Because I, I wasn't bad. There's no way you can say it's a bad season unless you really just have a zero sum view of college basketball and only really care about what happens in March. And I will say Tennessee won an SEC tournament and it was the month of March. Last time I checked when they won it. But if you're going to be really nitpicking and, and specific and say only the NCAA tournament, then okay, then I guess maybe it was a bad season for, for you if that's kind of your zero sum approach. And hey, if that's how you view it, that's fine. Like that's not how I view it. But if that's how you want to look at it, then I, I I'm not going to argue with you. I think I, I think it's valid enough. And you know I may disagree with you, but it is what it is. 
but Gene, for some context, kind of, to me, that really kind of made me lighten up a little bit on kind of the, neg- the negative way the season ended. Looking at the year as a whole, the 27 wins for Tennessee this year is actually the fourth most in program history. Um, th- that's kind of shocking when you think about it, uh, just because of, you know, that doesn't seem like an overwhelming amount, and especially if you look at teams like, you know, the Blue Bloods, who consistently have won the upper 20s and the 30 uh, games in a season. But Tennessee, they've only done that. That This is only the uh, sixth time in, a, in program history they've won more than 25 games in a year. So 27 wins. Uh, Rick Barnes and Bruce Pearl now have both are in the, in the, the top four seasons in, in school history. Both have two of those top four seasons. Uh, Barnes and Pearl both had 31 wins. Pearl had a 28-9 season that um, when they made it to the uh, um, Elite Eight. And then now Barnes has a 27-8 and season. So fourth most wins in a, in a season in school history. You finished in the top five in the AP poll for only the second time in school history in terms of finishing in the top five in the AP poll, not starting or not even just getting there, but actually finishing in the top five. You made it to the, to the NCAA tournament. And again, you won the SEC tournament. I can't stress that enough for the first time in 43 years. It wasn't like you had a, a you know, that Georgia run from a few years ago where they weren't a great regular season team and happened to go on a, a miracle run in the SEC tournament to win it. This was a team that finished 14 and four in the SEC and was a top four team in the SEC and had an outside chance, but but a chance nonetheless of actually winning the regular season title. If Auburn had, had dropped another game at some point down the stretch, they didn't. So Tennessee finished second, but still you finished second in the regular season and then first in the, the conference tournament. Again, you got to the NCAA tournament and got bounced the second round, but I want to throw something out there, Gene, you and I have talked about it multiple times on this podcast and I I've not had the the numbers in front of me to really say but we've talked about how this Tennessee does not have a an elite history in March and people always want to throw out the Rick Barnes in March or whatever and, and to some extent he's kind of earned that because again he hasn't had a lot of success in uh in March and and you know at least not in the last I guess 15 years or so that 10, 15 years, maybe, maybe more like 10 instead of 15, but the last, you know, last decade or so when he's at Texas and at Tennessee, he's not had the most success in March. So it's fair to say, you know, Hey, you know, it's him in March is not, is, is not, you know, it's like oil and water. They don't mix, but Tennessee as a program has had far less success in March than Rick Barnes has had as his career as a head coach period. So Tennessee, looking at when the NCAA tournament expanded to 64 teams, which was in 1985. Tennessee, since that point in what? I, I did this math earlier. I think in 30-something years. So it'd be 94, 04, 14. So in almost 40 years. And obviously one of those years there wasn't a um, the tournament because of COVID. But in almost 40 years, I guess 37-ish tournaments or so. Uh, since it expanded to 64 teams and now 68, but you know, since the last big expansion of the tournament, Tennessee's made the NCAA tournament just 16 of those times, Gene. So not even half of the year since it expanded to 1985 has Tennessee even made the tournament. Of those 16 seasons when they've made the NCAA tournament, they've managed to reach at least the Sweet 16 six times. Of course, one of those, they went on to the Elite Eight, but in 2000, 2007, 08, 2010, 2014, 2019. So Tennessee reached at least the Sweet 16 in six of the 16 tournaments they have made um, since 1985. They have the same amount of times they've made it to the Sweet 16 as they failed to win a game, as times they've they've gone one and done. Tennessee has failed to make it to the round of 32 six times, or I guess second round, however you want to word it, six times 
in 16 uh, of their, their last 16 appearances since 1985, and they've made it to the Sweet 16 six times. So they it, it's really kind of been boomer buster Tennessee. They've been able to either get at least to the the second the like a second weekend of of the tournament or they're bouncing the first round. It's even been a rarity that Tennessee's been able to advance to the next round, the second round. Tennessee's been bounced from there a couple of times. You look at uh, obviously this past year, you look at Rick Barnes's first year in the tournament when um in 2018, yeah, that math is right. In 2018, uh got bounced in, in the second round there as well. I mean, Bruce Pearl had a couple of teams get bounced in the second round and, and get bounced in the first round too. Uh, had that had that happened to him a couple of times. Uh, he had, had a sweet 16, I think one, two sweet 16 runs, I forget. And obviously the elite eight too, but Gene, I think just putting that in context, 16 times since 1985, Tennessee has made the NCAA tournament and they have just as many one and done tournaments as they do sweet 16 runs. There's not a lot of history there for Tennessee. So to say that this season, you know, to have, I think a largely negative view on this season and painting it as Rick Barnes and March, I don't think is fair for a lot of reasons, but I think really specifically because it's not like Tennessee has a storied history in the NCAA tournament. I saw someone on online make a good point too of like Tennessee isn't a blue blood. They're not going to get as you just, as you literally just talked about with the lay balls. Gene, I didn't think about this, but that fits perfectly into what I'm saying. Lay balls get the benefit of the doubt, and you said like one of the things you want, especially in college basketball or just in sports in general, is to get the benefit of the doubt. Lady Vols and UConn, especially UConn lately, gets a favorable draw. They get to, whether they're a, a one seed, a two seed, a three seed, they get to be basically on their home court and in an area like Bridgeport that is basically another home game for their kind of home arena for them, even when they get to the Sweet 16. Lady Vols have had a lot of luck in that in the past few years, not this year when they had to go to Wichita, but in previous years when Lady Vols were you know consistently very good. The you know the next round would be somewhere in the in the south, not too far from Knoxville, would it be Greenville or, or something like that. Tennessee, the men's team, has not had that, and they have not been getting that because they're not a blue blood. They don't you know if they've been if, if they've been a Duke maybe or if they've been like a blue blood like a Kentucky or Duke or whatever. There's a good chance Tennessee is a two seed and not a three seed like they were this year. And who knows? Obviously, it wouldn't matter if they stayed in the bracket they were in. But what if they moved into a, a different bracket? What if they moved into the east or they moved into the west or whatever? Uh, bracket, how different would their draw have been if they had been given, quote unquote, the benefit of the doubt? They've not historically had that, even with Brett Barnes there, who has been, you know, is a, is a, I guess kind of maybe a blue blood of a head coach. I don't, I don't know how you would kind of describe him, but Gene, I've, I've rambled enough here. I want to get your thoughts on it, but I, I think just contextualizing the season as a whole, if it's great, very, really good, good, however you want to say it. I think it's a very solid good to really good because you did something you haven't done in four decades. And yes, you get bounced early and that's really heartbreaking and frustrating, but this team was really fun to watch after a while, especially they were ugly to watch on offense early in the year, but they became fun to watch in the personality of this team. I think that was one of the reasons why uh, myself and I know a lot of all fans were heartbroken and upset when the, the season came to crashing end because this team was a lot of fun to watch and, and you got to fall in love with the personalities of guys like Zakai Ziegler, of Candy Chandler, of kind of the grittiness of Urosh out there, of of Josiah, and, and seeing him kind of come into his own as the season went along. I, I think, and, and Santiago Escobar and his personality and, and everything too. And I think that this season will not be remembered. I think maybe as negatively in the in the long run as others because of even though it did end earlier in the NCAA tournament than you would hope because of the SEC tournament title victory and because of the personality of this team. So I'll let you talk, Gene, because I've talked for a very long time without really 
getting a break. So sorry about that. No, it's good. Um, I'll just, I'll just simply say this, um, you know, to the point about the benefit of the doubt, Tennessee kind of has two things working against it. I mean, one, it's own postseason history Two, the postseason history perceived or otherwise of Rick Barnes. Hmm. So you add those two things together and, you know, it just doesn't typically work out that way. Um, you know, good season. I think the I think the biggest reason for excitement for the season is the fact that you saw development from guys that you needed to see development from. Uh, I mean, it wasn't just simply Kennedy Chandler. It's a guy Ziegler from what from the expectations of that kid coming in uh, to becoming a quality player. You know, to the improvements of Huntley Hatfield and in Adu. Um, to see all these younger pieces. I mean, you certainly wanted to see Justin Powell maybe come on. He may have to figure some stuff out himself. Um, you know, so when you look and just see the improvements of the, the individuals on the roster, I mean, that tells me, you know, everything else. I didn't even mention, you know, Josiah Jordan-James, but you kind of mentioned that. To see the improvements on the roster, like that, to me, would yield, would lend hope to and excitement to what next year could be once the roster is fully shaped. And it's so hard in March nowadays, you know, usually you get the season ends and you figure out, you kind of know what you have next year. I mean, it's, it's March 31st and we have zero clue what next season's roster is going to look like. You have an idea, but there's no clue whatsoever what the, the finality of this roster is going to look like. What guy on the portal is going to get poked, you know, is going to get, you know, picked up by Tennessee. Um, how is a guy like B.J. Edwards, how is he going to fit in next season? You know, like what other pieces are out there that people don't even know about yet? You know, and and I think that's what should lend some excitement because when I say, you know, when you and I speak on how the season ended, not talking about the Michigan game, get that. Didn't end up, people wanted it to. But if you look at the last 15 games or so, that's, that's kind of what people are talking about, where your only losses are, a couple points on the road at Arkansas, a couple points on the road at Texas, and what the NCAA tournament game feels mm-hmm. like the last three like bad ones. I mean, we're talking about a team that at one point was like thirteen and thirteen and five or something along those lines, and everybody was frustrated. LSU lost. People frustrated. Got people texting me about it. What's wrong with the team? Blah blah blah. You know, whatever. And now all of a sudden, you see him be, you know, win some games. Uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, last time we did this podcast about how the Kentucky loss kind of turned things around, and you can see it. You could see it, like in like how the players played, how they mesh, how they gelled, how everybody kind of fit into certain pieces and roles, um, how Barnes kept people engaged to where you kind of got some good minutes out of Victor Bailey in a game when that kid was playing like two, three, four, five minutes in some certain games, how you got some certain minutes out of Adu who – you know, at 18 years old, probably wants to play, wanted to play from day one and couldn't immediately get out there. Got a little antsy. Same thing with Huntley Hatfield. Getting a little antsy. All of a sudden, the Olivier Kama goes down with the injury. Now, all of a sudden, we need you guys. And that speaks to the coaching job, the true coaching job that Barnes did. I mean, again, I'm not going to judge him off one game. It's stumped. But, I mean, 67 teams don't win a championship. You certainly wanted to make maybe – like at this point, the, the separation 
if you got if you got beat by Michigan the exact same way in the Sweet 16, the only difference is that it's a Sweet 16. You still lost the exact same way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter. It's just, you know, like, I understand you want to get to the Sweet 16. You want to get to the Elite Eight. But you want to get to the second weekend, basically, and fell short of that this year and have only been eight times in your history. Um, but, I mean, you have to kind of figure out – you have to kind of have to figure there that it's coming. You know, they're getting – they're knocking on the door too much, in my opinion, to continue to go out round of 32, which, you know, they've done twice under Barnes, uh, round of 64, which they did once. Sweet 16, which they did once. Um, like, they're knocking the door too much to not eventually get in there and get to the Elite Eight and potentially to a Final Four because they're not losing – like, they're not losing the players that they need to keep to be successful. Like, I mean, they – you know, like, they lost two guys last year that people thought were going to hurt, and they were better this year. You know, and they they're losing they're losing one minor piece, great kid, minor piece of the roster at this moment. More could happen. Let's see what happens with Tampa. Um, I just threw that name out there. I really have zero intel on that, so please don't go saying that I've said anything. But you just have to wonder. I mean, will that kid get to a point where he can truly help this team? If he does, more power to him. If that kid realizes maybe this isn't for me or believes, then we'll see. But there may be more things happening on the roster, and, you know, like, you could improve from there. Powell wasn't somebody that people necessarily thought was going to happen this time next year. Everybody was frustrated because, you know, everybody was mad at uh, everybody's favorite guy. Oh, God, he played for Illinois. Um, he played, played for Illinois this past year. Oh, played for Florida uh, last year. Oh, oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, the guy who who everybody killed was, John. Everybody Ferguson. was mad at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody was mad at him last year, and yeah, you know, I just saw him. I mean, I, I was just I was literally like six feet away from him, scared for my life in, in Pittsburgh because uh, <laughs> I thought he was going to come run over and elbow me in the face. But um, you know, like that guy. Like I mean, like you were frustrated about focusing you're you know wondering to yourself man if you know if we had focusing we maybe could have beat Oregon State maybe you could have I don't know um but like this thing there was a different feel last year last year it was a feeling of frustration because the season never looked like you wanted it to look there wasn't a ton of excitement like the excitement was around Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson it wasn't around the team I think you go into this offseason excited about the team going into next year because you've got reason to. You've got players come in that you think can help. Is Edwards the only commit? Signee, whatever? Yeah, as of right now, Edwards is the only one. And that was also a point I was going to make was this time last year, you, I, if I remember correctly, right now in like the end of March, beginning of April, you only had Kennedy Chandler and Jemai Meshack signed. Like you didn't have – Homie Hatfield, Adu, Debonje, Ziegler, Tamba, or Justin Powell's a transfer. You didn't have any of those guys. You just had two guys in your class. So, yeah, and right now Tennessee just has Edwards uh, currently signed. Right. So, like, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, there's still so there's still so much reason to be excited about what, what lies ahead, at least in my opinion, just because I'm looking and I'm seeing 
I'm looking at that roster, and I'm like, man, if all these pieces come back, it's going to be a really good team next year. Like, but they just have to all come back because you expect the development. That's a staple of Rick Barnes' teams, the development from season one and from one season to the next. And you get some more confidence out of Huntley Hatfield. Get some more confidence from Adu. You know, maybe Tomba develops where he can be a piece. You get Olivier Conway back. So now, you, so now you're – interior situation isn't necessarily what it was this time last year. Now you lose Chandler. I get that, but everybody's excited about Ziegler. You've got Edwards that is a really good player. Um, we'll see what happens on the wings. I mean, you know, Josiah's back. What's, you know, you know, Vescovy, let's see what happens with him. Like you look at the pieces that are coming back, if they all come back. And obviously we're just talking on March 31st. If all these pieces are back in November with maybe a, an addition of perhaps an ex, a more experienced big, I mean, I don't know, Euros can, can kind of do some stuff, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like, Euros just kind of feels like the five foul guy. He may give you some points and rebounds along the way, maybe block a shot, but he's really out there to give you five fouls and get everybody excited. And, look, there's merit in that. Like, I'm being clear. I mean, I'm not, I'm not judging – who he is as a player. I just expect him to foul out of every game, whether he does or not. I feel like that's how, I mean, and if he can kind of get under somebody's skin and get that person a technical or get that person fouled out, that's a, that's a win. Like he had some really good performances. I thought he played well against Hunter Dickerson. He had some good moments there. Like, so like that. So if you can bring, maybe bring in one more experienced big, just so you're not going into next year with a bunch of sophomores, um, a guy coming off a, a season-ending injury in, in, in Euros, maybe add one piece to that, maybe add one more wing, perhaps an elite wing. I don't know. Um, I don't know how potential pro, you know targets fit into that. Um, but, like, I, I think there's reason. You walk away from this season, you know, it's bittersweet. You're frustrated about how it ended but you can like, look back and see everything that transpired. And then you realize, man, we got a lot of this coming back and we can, man, we can just add a piece or two here or there. Why can't we be at the top of the SEC next year? Mm-hmm. I mean, who's going to, I mean, like I, I will take the, you know, I will take the approach. Who's better than us? Because that's the question. Like, if that's me asking it, Auburn, Auburn was number one. We beat them. Yeah, Kentucky. We we beat them twice. Arkansas. We beat them. And Arkansas went to the Sweet Sixteen or Elite Eight, right? Uh, one of those two. <laughs> I think I think they went to sixteen. No, they went to the yeah they went to the Elite Eight. Yeah, that's right. They they played Duke in the Elite Eight. Yeah. So yeah, like I mean, like you have to go into the next season now. Arkansas. Is, I mean, they're crouton. Oh, boy. Crouton. I mean, I'm just saying they're crouton yeah. over there. Um, most of us walking around somewhere with a sling on and no shirt on, but <laughs> um, he's crouton. And, you know, you got a crew in this conference. Got a crew. And, you know, Tennessee's going to crew from the portal. I don't know. I mean, there's probably a 2023 20, kid who will reclassify. I don't know who. I don't know anything, but I mean that's kind of how this works. That's how you got uh, Huntley Hatfield. Mm-hmm. That's how you got Tomba. So 
don't know, Blue Cane maybe? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's a Tennessee target or what. Don't throw, don't tell me offer. Like, is that a target? Right. There's a big difference there. Um, and I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but those top teams, I don't know what Auburn has coming, you know, coming back next year. I don't know. But like I said, you better crew. There's some teams that are going to take some steps back this year. See, you know, looking at you, LSU, teams will take a step back. Um, oh, yeah. So said, they, they should, you know, at least. Yeah. <laughs> South Carolina can't run much further back. But all due respect to my man, Lamont Paris, I've seen six names at that portal. Yep. And I never saw you bring, I never saw him bring in six in one, in one cycle. He brought in eight over a three year cycle that helped him win a championship and got him a South Carolina job. But six in one cycle. I mean, I, I believe there's a point guard he's getting from Belmont. Mm. Pretty, I, I feel pretty a, confident about that. That's a good point, point guard, guard too. The portal. Um, you know, pretty good player. You know, but that ain't you know that ain't the difference right there in that league. That one player is not going to you know not knock you up from seventeen, eighteen wins with when the head coach was wanting to. He had his players out there fighting the opposition, not literally, but I mean, <laughs> defense, defense, defense. To Lamont, who's all about you know offensive efficiency, that's not going to be a quick turnaround there. So, uh, Ole Miss, man, they're trying to fire their coach. They're looking for a reason to get rid of their coach. Florida, it ain't going to be them. Uh, Georgia, nah, see Florida. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, there's, like, there's so much opportunity to, you know, basically start paying rent at the top half of the SEC. There's so much of an opportunity to get – you've got so much of an of a head start on other teams in the SEC because of your stability. When everybody talks about, you know, hires – well, this guy, he's not the guy. He's not the guy. I mean, you can look around that league, and you can look and see what's at Missouri. Like, when you start throwing names out, like Dennis Case, I think, has the potential to be a pretty decent coach there. It ain't going to happen next year. No, right. I don't care how many people he offers in the portal. He can offer every 25 damn people. I don't care. Like, at the end of the day, you know, like, you got to put all those pieces together. Missouri isn't exactly a, a destination location for – for prospects. So let's say you look around the league, A&M could be decent, who knows, but um, I mean, like there's so much of an opportunity for Tennessee to kind of just plant roots in the top four of the SEC. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think that's a, a conversation I want to have kind of deeper into next week, but you're right. Like, I'm looking at kind of the recruiting landscape too for the SEC and I mean, you're just talking about Auburn. As we're recording this, they literally just got a commitment from uh, five-star center Johan Traore, who I think was committed to LSU and then decommitted and then now is going to, to Auburn. Um, but you look at that, you look at Arkansas having three five-stars committed with Nick Smith as a top 10 player, Jordan Walsh as a top 20 player, and then they got the commitment from Anthony Black, who's a top 25 player um, just a couple of days ago. They also just got the commitment from Missouri transfer uh, Trevon Brazil, who's a 6'9 forward. Um, you look at Kentucky, they only have two commits, but they're two guys ranked in the top 10 uh, on 2 or 7 than Chris Livingston and Kaysen Wallace. So you mentioned, like, you're right, though. I, I, I think Tennessee, they're targeting, again, I mentioned Julian Phillips. They're targeting a, uh, a forward who was once committed to uh, Florida, who was a, a four-star, actually maybe five-star. He's a top, like, 35 player. Uh, so whatever, he's, he's a, you know, 
supposed to be a really good player too. So they, they've got a couple of guys they're targeting and recruiting, but you mentioned too targeting in the transfer portal and stuff. And, and Brandon Murray from LSU is kind of the big name that's been thrown around there for, for Tennessee as well. Who's a six, five kind of combo guard slash, you know, three uh, position there as well for LSU this past year. And if I remember correctly, he torched Tennessee in one of the games that they played against LSU, but no, to, to kind of go back to the season as a whole, I mean, you're right. Like who, who, like looking at Tennessee compared to the rest of the SEC teams, I mean, I know, I know Arkansas made the Elite Eight, and I, I would say that because of that, and just kind of also they they finished pretty strong too. They're the only team I would say that you could point to and said they had a better finish to their year than Tennessee. And even then, it's like SEC tournament victory for the first time in forty years, making an Elite Eight. Like that's almost comparable in my book, in, in my opinion, kind of. And, and Tennessee and Arkansas have had the two best years in the SEC overall, in my opinion, because if I'm Auburn or Kentucky, like the way those the seasons ended for both those schools in the SEC tournament and then in the NCAA tournament, I mean, that talk about a massive disappointment. If I'm an Auburn fan, like I'm pretty upset with the, the talent they had this year and the coaching job Bruce Pearl did down the stretch because everyone wants to, you know, I see still several Vol fans wanting to gush over Pearl and I get it. Like he, and I, I, I don't fault people who still kind of miss the Pearl days because of his showmanship and, and the way Tennessee won under him. But he wasn't always the greatest in-game coach, and it showed. I mean, they, they relied, for whatever reason, they went away from running their offense through Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler and trying to go inside out and, for some reason, let their guards do a lot of the lifting in, in the later half of March, and their guards were not good. Like, And they were I mean, not great. They're okay, but they weren't the kind of guards that, you know, uh, Pearl had when they made the Final Four run, or when you know the couple years where they yeah, were really, really at the top of the SEC. I guess they were technically at the top of the SEC this year too. But I mean, if I'm Kentucky or Auburn, I'm not super pleased with the way the year went because you had great regular seasons, but then in both tournaments, in the SEC and NCAA tournament, you crashed and burned. Uh, ten, you know, Kentucky got beat by Tennessee in the semifinals, which is a failure by Kentucky standards. They got bounced. Uh, both, both. I think both Auburn and, and Kentucky, if I remember right, both got bounced in the first round. Or one of them got bounced in the second. One got bounced in the first. Kentucky obviously got bounced in the first because that was St. Peter's that beat them, um, and they obviously went on their Cinderella run to the Elite Eight. But if I remember right, Auburn got bounced in the second round. But Gene, like, if I'm a Vol fan and looking at the way those seasons ended and kind of how the end of February and and all of March played out for Auburn and um, Kentucky. I mean, there's no comparison. Tennessee had a much better year and a much better ending to the year than those teams. And again, the only other team in the SEC, I would point and said, you could say had a better ending to their year was Arkansas. And Arkansas has been no slouch over the past years. In fact, Arkansas has a more storied basketball history than Tennessee because in the 90s, they were really darn good in men's basketball. I mean, and you look at, I mean, really, really good in like the mid 90s and 95, 96. So I think... This year, as a whole, like you said, 67 teams every year who even make the tournament end without getting to the ultimate goal of winning the championship. But that didn't even include, like, there's 300-something teams in Division One basketball. So technically, if you're looking at it that way, there's like 350-something teams that, you know, don't complete the goal of winning a national championship. But even with that, like, I, I think a lot of fans would have felt better if you make to the second the second weekend. Because I think that was, you look at the Lady Vols, for example, I think, especially if they lost to Belmont because it was an in-state school on your home, your home court, that would have been crushing, but at least getting to that second weekend, the first time in, in since 2016, like that was an accomplishment for that team. I think if this team had been able to get to the sweet 16, there would be far less of a bitter taste in the mouths of a lot of all fans. 
But I think even with the way the season ended in the NCAA tournament, I still think this season to me will go down as uh, one of the favorite seasons I've I've watched because I got so invested in this team in February and in March just because, again, they were fun to watch and easy to root for. And especially with, you know, again, I always go back to Sakai Ziegler being kind of the heart of the team, even as a true freshman. But he's he's a kid that, I mean, fans are already love him a ton. He's going to be loved his entire career at Tennessee. He's going to be a guy that's going to go down as one of the top five most liked and most beloved ball players of all time. Um, maybe even in any sport, because I think, I mean, his fans, they are like I mean, you know, big basketball fans at Tennessee who loves the guy Ziegler because of his personality and just kind of the way he's embraced uh, Knoxville and the way his family's embraced Knoxville. But Gene, it's, it's, it's hard to put a grade on a season. It's hard to say if it was a success or whatever, but I, I really, I, I don't have, I was upset and, 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 you know, we, we had a little therapy session last episode, you and I did uh, for the first part of it, but overall, like this season to me was, it was a fun one, a good one. And one of the better ones I've watched and, and from start to finish, one of the better ones I've watched um, for Tennessee men's basketball. And I, I, I think most people probably feel that way at this point. Now that we're a couple weeks removed from the Michigan loss, especially, I think most people have kind of calmed down a little bit and thought, okay, it, it was a good year, ended disappointingly, but there's been so many Tennessee basketball seasons that have ended disappointingly that you kind of get used to it at this point, to be honest. Well, and let me just simply say this. Um, I know a lot of fans will base their season off of this, what I'm about to say, and if that's and if this is the true measurement of your program, and if you've listened to this podcast enough, then you'll know that I don't think you should measure your program this way. But uh, you went two and one against Kentucky. And I know like there are a lot of Tennessee fans that will base uh, their success off of that particular rivalry. Um, I don't think they should because I think that they should aspire to be higher, better than that. Um, but... Look, facts, facts are facts. Beat Kentucky twice, won an SEC championship. Um, Auburn kind of did the Tennessee thing of three years ago where they got to number one in the country, got all the love, got all the attention. They kind of they didn't fall apart, but, I mean, I guess they technically got a regular season championship out of it. But mm. aside from that, I mean, er, I mean, heck, they got knocked out in the early round of the uh, quarterfinals. Yep. of the SEC tournament by A&M and uh, then got beaten, what, the second round? Yeah, and I, I'm trying to remember that. Yeah, and they lost to uh, Yeah, they were Miami. a 2 seed. They got beat by Miami. Yep. Yeah, it was a 10 seed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I still laugh because I'm get, I'm guessing that Miami didn't even pack its white jerseys. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they had to wear their white jerseys because, I mean, you know, all of a sudden, they're the 10 seed. Um, but, no, I mean – like I, I get it. Like it's you want you want to be able to base success off of you know getting ready to play this weekend. Yep, right. A lot of teams don't get that. So how can you pull the small victories out? You point to things like the NCAA. I'm sorry, the SEC tournament championship, the wins over Kentucky, uh, the top five ranking, all things that not many people thought were going to happen. If you look, if you're being if you're being honest with yourself back in November. Mm-hmm. Um, you thought this was about a 21. I think we, you and I both predicted somewhere in the 28 to 22 win uh, range, maybe 23. Um, 
I think 23 is actually what they won in the regular season. Did they win? Yeah. Um, 23 yeah. seven, I believe was their regular season record. So pretty much, you know, kind of on there, but you know, if you look back at all the things that transpired, you, you know, you, you knocked out Will Wade, who nobody likes up there. Uh, <laughs> You you went two and one against Kentucky, and you know you beat Conzo. I mean, like all the things that you want to sit back and you know look you know look back on. I mean, heck, Texas Tech was in the Elite Eight this year. That's one of your losses. Uh, Villanova is still playing. That was one of your losses. You know, Kentucky was a really good team. That was one of your losses. Arkansas, what Elite Eight? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Elite Eight. Okay, Arkansas Elite Eight beat them. I'm sorry, that was one of your losses. So you just well, and you beat him too. On... What's that? I said, yeah, and, and you did beat Arkansas too because you played him twice. So you lost to him and beat him. Yeah, and so you just look at the losses that you had, and like again, like the argument was always you, you lost to quality teams. It was the worst thing you lost to Michigan. Yeah, I, I mean, like, technically, yeah. yeah. If we're being honest about it, it's probably your worst loss. And at the end of the day. You can sit back and say, man, the worst team we lost to was Michigan, who played for a national championship, what, like five years ago? I don't think it was that long Recently. ago. It wasn't that long ago at all, yeah. No, the Villanova-Michigan game was like 2018, I believe, somewhere in that range. Yeah, they've made they've made at least the Sweet 16, uh, well, beside the COVID year, they've made it five straight years now into the at least, at least the Sweet 16. And that was your worst loss, perhaps possibly um i mean it was i don't i don't know we really don't have to like you know continue to just kind of beat a dead horse it was a good season it was a good season it was a, su- a successful season you you got you saw players get better uh you saw your team get better yeah they you know they they struggled um in the second round against uh, michigan at a key at some key moments and we're able to get the job done. But I, I see nothing to be disappointed about because, look, it could be worse. You could have lost to St. Peter's. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like you could have lost to St. Peter's. You could have lost to the U. Um, you know, like, I guess at some point, it's funny that we don't do the SEC basketball podcast anymore because – yeah, I think it's about time that it was almost about time to ask the question: Was the SEC overrated this year? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, that'd, that'd be a good offseason topic it, for us to talk it, about. And it's not fair because it's a. It, at the end of the day, we're talking about a one-game measurement, but you also see what four of the final eight teams are ACC teams or something like that, and everybody wrote them off, talked about how they stunk this year because Furman beat Louisville and uh, Citadel beat Pitt. And Citadel didn't even keep its coach after the season. They did so bad. Uh, so, and that's just, you know, like, it, it's tough. And, you know, like, but that, I, I don't know. Again, I think it was a great league. I think it's an extremely talented athletic league. Uh, it's probably on par with the ACC and the Big Ten. I mean, Big Ten is always a disappointment in March. But all, their, all the media outlets are, like, Big Ten guys. And yeah. so, therefore, there's like nine Big Ten teams in the top 25 because, you know, well, but, you know, some guy that went to Northwestern, his wife is a Illinois grad and 
So he, you know, he decides to vote them 13th, so they'll get a 20, so they'll end up 25th in the poll or something. Um, just making that up, but that's the type of stuff that happens. And so, I mean, like, there's always a push to get those teams in there. And there are good ones. Michigan's a good program. Michigan State historically is a good program. Michigan State lost a tight game to Duke. So, um, but yeah, I mean, look, in the day, totality, Tennessee had a good season. Uh, Plenty of reason to be excited. Look forward to see what this rush looks like in June. Before we end the podcast, you, you're talking about Michigan. Got me, got me thinking. You know, <laughs> just their program in general. Gene, I did not realize just like how ridiculously good they've been in the tournament. Uh, that you know, you're talking about Big Ten being overrated. They're 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 one of the few exceptions of the Big Ten that's actually been consistently very good in the NCAA tournament. Going back to 2013, uh, they've only missed. Obviously, 2020, there wasn't a tournament. But since beside that 2020 year, they've only missed a tournament once since 2013, and that was in 15. In 2013, they were national championship runner-up. They lost to Louisville. In 2014, they made the Elite Eight, lost to Kentucky. In 2016, they won in the first four, lost in the first round to Notre Dame. In 2017, they made the Sweet 16, lost by one point to Oregon. 2018, they were national championships runner-up, lost to Villanova. 19, Sweet 16, they lost to Texas Tech. 2011, they went to lead eight and lost by two points to UCLA. And then this year to the Sweet 16, they lost to Villanova. So, I mean, they've been to at least the Sweet 16 every year except for 2016. And they've been in the national championship game twice. And they've been to the Elite Eight uh, a couple other times as well. So, I mean, my goodness, they've had a, I didn't realize, I knew they'd been really good, but I didn't realize how good of a like last decade they've had in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, with two different coaches. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. B- uh, Bayline and, and um, um, Jawan Howard, yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Who used to have the most? Uh, who used, used to have the most famous slap on television? But things have changed uh, really quick. Yeah, life goes at you fast. Uh, shout out to Will Smith. But um, yeah, I mean that's tough, and you know, like that's it, you're losing to a program that the standard is Sweet Sixteens, and you hope that. Yeah, you certainly hope because I don't know. Which I'm pretty sure that you just told me that the that Michigan has been to the Sweet 16 what six times in the, since 20. I was just thinking that they've they've uh, been to the Sweet 16 as many times in the last eight tournaments as Tennessee has in the last uh, yeah. 25, basically. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at, and that's that stings a little bit. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like, look, that's what you're aspiring for, and if a program. If a program can aspire to be Michigan um, in terms of its success in March, and look, Michigan State's had those runs. You know, Izzo's a great March coach. Um, a lot of different guys have had, you know, I mean, a lot of different coaches around the country have had that sort of success. Coach K, obviously, uh, you know, Gonzaga, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, and if you can aspire to win two games in March, and be one of the final 16, all you can ask yourself, all, all you can ask is to throw your, your hat in that ring. And Tennessee's going to get there. Uh, again, like you just look at their recruiting, and you can tell it's only a matter of time. Look at their retention, because it's recruiting. It's, it's, it's probably, in my opinion, it's probably retention first, recruiting second, um, development third. Mm. And if you, because if you retain players, you can develop them. And if you recruit the right players to your program, you can develop them. You throw those two together, you're constantly bringing players back that are getting developed, and then you're recruiting players that can be developed, and all of a sudden you have a championship caliber program. 
but you can't have just a constant just you can't have just like a you know revolving door of talent coming in and out of your program and I, I think that Tennessee is really starting to build itself to a place where uh, kids don't want to leave and decisions for the kids to not come back are probably more coaching staff you know kind of asking them to maybe look at other options and which yeah it stinks because that's just kind of the you know the ugly side of college basketball but mm-hmm. you know from a i mean for those who are fans they're also looking at this like we may lose because now the excitement is how can we who what better player can we find what player that we can we find that is going to be better than Victor Bailey? Because now we got a spot, and that's the reality. And you know, like you know, three years ago, it was Victor Bailey everybody was getting excited about. Yeah, we got <laughs> yeah. this kid. It's played. Got this kid who's been in two Oregon teams. One went to the NCAA tournament. One went to NIT. Got experience. You know, he's strong. He's athletic. You know, track guy. You know, and so you're. You can talk, everybody talks themselves into the prospects. And, you know, so now they're going to bring in a kid who's probably had some success at his previous stop, maybe coming from a lower school or whatever, like a lower level school, and who may have put up 18, 19 a game or whatever. And now you can say, hey, how can we fit this kid into our, what we're trying to do? This two guard, oh man, he's the next Jordan Bowden. You know, and everybody will talk themselves into whatever it is. And look, that's the excitement this time of year is that you just don't know but you have reason to be excited because what you know is you've got some pretty known quantities on your roster going into next year. And now, now it's just about filtering in, uh, filling in the gaps. Yep. And that'll be a topic conversation for next week when we do a next podcast. But uh, before we end, Gene, I want to go back really quickly to your comment you made. I saw a meme on Twitter, of the, the Spider-Man meme where they're both pointing at each other of, and it said Juwan Howard and Will Smith. And I, <laughs> I lost it when I saw that one. <laughs> Uh, but you're right. There was the most famous slap on TV for like a month and then it got replaced real quick. Um, but anyway, I wanted that on a, on a light note, <laughs> but thank you all so much for tuning in uh, to this episode. Really appreciate whether you watch it on YouTube or you listen to it on the podcast. If you made it to this far at the very end of it, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you all so much. We, we've been very appreciative of all your support. We, uh, we've been here for a year now, Gene, as a, a Tennessee specific podcast, uh, slash show and we also just crossed the 10,000 download mark for episodes episode number I guess of in terms of being downloaded on the podcast uh, recently as well so big thank you to all of you for that uh, that's that's obviously you know it speaks to the I guess the hunger of Vol fans for basketball and numbers are growing a lot like that was a, a large portion of that 10,000 has come in the last like five months or so so again thank you to all of all of you this this podcast the show continues to grow really appreciate all of you all supporting us and helping us become a, a thing that i really look forward to doing uh, with gene or, or the lady of all podcast or you know get, being able to lately interview uh, the new additions to the lady of all's roster and hopefully we'll be able to have the same opportunity to do it for the men's team because hopefully they'll go out and grab a couple of transfers as well so again just want to thank all of you for tuning in here uh, signing off for gene i am nathaniel and this has been another episode of the vault basketball fever podcast thank you for listening to the vault basketball fever podcast make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode subscribe to our youtube channel for more video content and follow us on twitter and facebook as well thank you all fans we